You're listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. Today we find ourselves in between sermon series, and I want to preach a standalone sermon titled Made in the Shade. Made in the Shade. Somebody say, Made in the Shade. In 2003, I led a group of 30-plus students and chaperones to a little island in the Caribbean called Cayman Brack. It's one of the smaller of the three Cayman Islands. And our, our job there was to lead youth camps for the kids that lived on that island. Now, that island is only 12 miles long, and at its widest point, it is only um, a mile and a half wide. So it, it is 12 miles long. It is the sliver of land, and it has a huge bluff at one end, which is where the name Brack comes from. Um, it, it is a place of secluded serene beauty in the middle of the Caribbean Sea. We, we flew in to the island on Friday evening. We spent most of the day on Saturday exploring the island. We were visiting caves. We went snorkeling at a few different places. And we were just relaxing before the busyness of that week. And, and the plan was that we were going to be ministering in churches the following day. We were going to uh, split up in groups and go all over to churches, maybe do some drama or some music in each of these churches and promote the youth camps that we were going to be running at the local high school Monday through Friday. But that Saturday, it was scheduled to be a fun day of, of, of relaxation. Not much of a schedule. Let's go sightsee. Let's, let's go swimming. And, and let's just enjoy this island before it gets so busy. So after a busy day of sightseeing, I found myself in, in this hammock um, out on the water. I was sheltered from the sun. The sound of the ocean waves were, were crashing. It was late afternoon. It was the perfect place for me to take a nap. And needless to say, I had it made in the shade. I did. I was made in the shade. And, and I was just about to doze off. I mean, I was just about to find that, that good sleep when all of a sudden I heard someone running up those stairs. And, and it was my drummer. His name was Ben. And, and Ben came running up those stairs, and he was hysterical. He was winded, and he shouted at me. He said, get your butt moving. Your wife was just hit by a car, except he didn't say butt. And I think I looked at him and said, we'll deal with that later. And I took off running about 100 yards, no exaggeration. I ran about 100 yards to where this group of people were gathered around my wife. And sure enough, as soon as I walked up and I pressed through the crowd and I saw her laying on this sidewalk, her ankle was about this big around. And I thought, oh, no, what's happened? You know, and and what, what was happening, Mandy was riding a bicycle while I was relaxing out in a hammock. Mandy and my assistant and his wife, they were all riding these dilapidated bicycles, these rust buckets, and, and this car, this woman came flying around the corner, and she didn't see Mandy. She hit her from behind, and it broke her ankle, and, and it catapulted us into one of the hardest weeks of ministry in my entire life. I know that sounds crazy. You're in a tropical paradise, but it was just chaotic from there on. This, this was on on, on uh, was it, was it, it was Sunday or Saturday, it was on Saturday afternoon, and, and from there on, things just got increasingly harder. I mean, we had attacks coming at us uh, uh, from other pastors, um, just they didn't want us on the island. It was, it was because we were what they would refer to as mixed bathing. We were swimming in the ocean together, 
and they called it mixed bathing. And, and this legalism just attacked us. And it was one of the hardest weeks of my entire life. Now think about that. What a turn of events. One moment, you're lying in a hammock. You got it made in the shade. And the next moment, you're dealing with turmoil. You're dealing with pain. And, and, and that, my friends, is the description of life. Let's pray and we'll go home. Turn to John chapter 1, if you will. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Let's, let's find out what this means for us. Our text today, it, it takes us to the, to the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, somewhere around the age of 30 years old. And every rabbi, uh, Jesus has been uh, approved, anointed, if you will, to, to be a rabbi, a teacher of the law. And every rabbi had their student disciples that would live in close proximity to their teacher. And they would travel with their rabbi, rabbi they would eat with their rabbi. These men would be the closest acquaintances to the rabbi. And Jesus is filling his roster with men that were technically not qualified to be anybody's disciples. They were not the best students. They, they were not the most gifted. These were just simple men that were making a living, just trying to provide for themselves, trying to provide for their families. And Jesus begins to, to build his roster to call his disciples from these types of individuals. So he calls Andrew, and he calls his, his brother Peter. And then he calls John and his brother James. And, and, and then he calls a man by the name of Philip, who was also from the same home, hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip runs into his friend Nathaniel to share with him that this rabbi fits the bill. Out of all the rabbis he's ever encountered, he thinks this is the one. This is the rabbi that, that fits the description of the guy, that, that the, the one that, that Moses and the prophets said were, was to come. This is the one that, that looks the closest. Of, and so I think, Nathaniel, you need to come see this guy. So we pick it up there, John chapter 1, um, verses 45 through 50, to get us started here. Verse 45 says, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Let's, let's pause just for a moment. At that time, what you have to understand is that Nazareth was an obscure little hill town. It, it was remote of no real consequence. Uh, it 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 was a very small little village. Through excavation, archaeologists have determined that the population of Nazareth was probably between 200 and 400 people at the time of Christ. It was so newly established that it was not even mentioned in the Old Testament. You don't even read of Nazareth in the Old Testament. It was not sophisticated. It was not glamorous. It was quite the opposite. The most normal people on the planet. It was not a place that anyone expected the Messiah to come from. It was not majestic in any way. No royalty lived there or ever went there. And so Nathaniel's question was not just sarcastic shade being thrown. It was genuine skepticism. Listen to verse 46 again. Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Church, I'm convinced everybody needs a Philip in their life. 
Everybody needs a friend like Philip because a friend that will bring your butt to Jesus when you need to meet Jesus the most, that's what we all need. Amen? How many of you can uh, appreciate a friend like that? Yeah? I hope maybe they're here with you today. I hope maybe you find this newfound appreciation for them. We need a friend like that, that when you're deep in sin, they went after you and, and they reminded you of how Jesus feels about you and the future that you have in Christ. When you were stuck in the prison of addiction, that they took the time to talk with you about God and how he can set you free. When your marriage was struggling, this friend, they prayed with you and, and they, they, they helped you make the right decisions, not the decisions that the world is trying to make you make. Everybody needs a friend that will bring them to Jesus and Philip brought Nathaniel to Jesus. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. How interesting is it, church, that the journey of discipleship for Nathaniel started in the shade. It really did. When you read this story, when you read this encounter, it started while he was under that fig tree. He didn't know it, but Jesus first noticed him while he was sitting in the shade under the fig tree. Having visited that part of the world, spending a few days in that very region, I, I can understand why. It, it is a very hot place, and, and finding a shaded area can bring about much-needed relief from the blistering sun. I can see why someone would want to find a fig tree and sit underneath the fig tree. Throughout the Bible, we often read of, of fig trees, and, and they were a, a medium-height tree of, of 15, somewhere between 15 and 25 feet tall. And even in the driest of conditions, they would produce enough thick foliage to provide adequate shade for those looking to escape the heat. And this is where Jesus sees Nathaniel. Have you ever had someone try to tell you how you feel or they try to describe you and, and, and your response is, you don't know me. No, just me. Am I the only one? Can, can we be honest? Have you, ever, have you ever at least thought it? They try their best to describe you. They try their best to pinpoint you. They think they have you figured out. And, and in your mind, maybe out of your mouth, it's, you don't know me. How dare you try? No, you don't know me. John 1 and 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, this is what Jesus says about him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel's response is, you don't know me. How do you know me? What makes you think that you know who I am? But obviously what Jesus had to say wasn't that far off of what Nathaniel was thinking about himself, which most of the time when people think they have you figured out, they usually do, right? We're not privy as to what was going through Nathaniel's mind under that tree. If I had to guess, 
He was most likely contemplating life or at least a certain aspect of life. He's trying to figure something out. Maybe he was between jobs and was thinking about his future. Maybe he was still waiting on the right woman to come along that he could spend the rest of his life with. Maybe he was contemplating the reality of a God, a a creator, waiting on the Messiah to appear. It, it, It can steal your faith. Just waiting sometimes. You know what it's like. We've been hearing Jesus is coming back for our entire lives. Sometimes your faith begins to waver because we're not very good at waiting, right? And and maybe Nathaniel was having this honest conversation with himself about the very existence of God. If you've never had that conversation before, look at someone who has, okay? I've been there. I will admit it to you. There's been many moments in my life. There's been many moments in my ministry when I've thought to myself, is he even real? Because if he is, why am I going through this? God, where are you when I'm in trouble? All the while... Whatever was going through Nathaniel's mind, he was probably trying to convince himself that he was not full of deceit. That that there's not a dishonest bone in his body. He's not out to hurt anyone. He just wants to understand the whys of life. And that's the questions that we all have. We just want to know the whys. Like, I think I can accept some things in life if I can just understand why I'm having to go through it. Why am I jobless? Why am I single? Why do I even try to live a holy life why 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 that is the biggest question that we even as believers it's one of the greatest questions that we have why 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 God and whatever was going through Nathaniel's mind Jesus saw him and Nathaniel didn't even know it you see you had no idea that while you were sitting in the shade Jesus saw you you didn't know it while I was drowning in my despair he saw me. While I was struggling through life, he saw me. While I was questioning his very existence, Jesus was watching me closely. And while I was in the shade trying to figure it all out, God knew where I was at and he was planning my future. Let me tell you something about your God. He knows exactly where you are. He's got your coordinates down. Don't you worry about that. He's got every hair on your head numbered. Some of you, you make it easier than others. But he's got every hair on your head numbered. He knows exactly where you're at. Don't you think for one second that God has forgotten you and lost your location. He's got you pinpointed. And while he's got you pinpointed he's planning your future if i may i want to take us to another man sitting in the shade it seems unrelated and it probably is except in my mind but jonah chapter four if you will jonah chapter four this is another man sitting in the shade this time it's in the old testament and this man's name was jonah you know him you remember him he was followed swallowed by the great fish and then he was spit out on the shore probably somewhere near Nineveh, the very place that he was trying to avoid, that God called him to go to. He was tasked with taking the message of repentance and offering salvation to these evil people. And I don't have time to get into it. I I taught our men at Man Up about the the Ninevites. These were evil people. Um, They they tortured others. I mean, if if evil was personified, it's these people. Jonah has every reason to hate these people, and he does. Jonah despises his assignment. He tries to run from it. In the process, he's thrown overboard on a ship. God causes a great fish to come and swallow him, takes him and spits him out on shore. And eventually, 
he does what God commands him to do, and, and he preaches to the people of Nineveh. And when he does, the people of Nineveh repent, their king repents, a great revival breaks out. And you can only imagine how Jonah, who hates these people, how this makes him feel. John chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he, till he, he should see what would become of the city. You see, Jonah wants God to destroy the city. So he goes outside of the city, he prepares a booth, a shade over his head, and he just waits in hopes that somehow God, who has obviously lost his mind to save these people, like humanity is better off without them. Oh, this is going to start hitting real close to home in just a second, I promise you. I said humanity is better off without them. In Jonah's mind, the world is a better place without, oh, you know who you're thinking about right now. You know which side of the political aisle you're, you're thinking of. The world is better off without them. Surely God has come to his senses and I'm just going to set up right here underneath this shade and I'm going to stare at Nineveh and I'm going to wait for him to destroy all of them. There's one problem. We're not very good at covering ourselves. We're not very good at providing shade for ourselves, covering for ourselves. Think about Adam and Eve. Go back to the beginning. Adam and Eve. In the shame of their sin, of all things, they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. Fig leaves. God comes walking in the garden in the cool of the day, looking for them, calling out to them. They're hiding from him. And when they finally come out to God, and, and, and God says, why were you hiding? And Adam says, I, we were hiding because... We were naked. And God says, who told you? He knew exactly who told him. Who told you you were naked? God looks at them and, and, and their shame and their despair. And, and he sees that they've tried to cover themselves with leaves. God goes and kills animals. Sorry, Peter. God goes and kills animals. Takes the animal skins and and helps them cover themselves. He, he makes a sacrifice in order for them to be covered. You see, we're not very good at covering ourselves. That's why Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had to go to the cross as a spotless lamb so that he could cover our sin. It took a, the animal sacrifice. It took a spotless lamb. And the only one that could be the spotless lamb was Jesus Christ, the Son of God who knew no sin. He became the sin for us. He became the sacrifice for the sin for us. It took him in order to cover our sins because our righteousness is as filthy rags. We could have never gotten it done because we're not very good at covering ourselves. It's, it's kind of like insurance. Uh, anybody like me? Like, you hate paying insurance, yeah? But, but you know it's necessary. You have to have it. If, if I get sick, if I get injured, chances are I would not be able to personally cover my medical bills. Have you ever looked at a medical bill? How outrageous it is? I mean, you get, you get an x-ray, and it's a quarter of a million dollars, and you're like, really? Really? I could have downloaded one of those straight off. You know, I mean, it looks just like that bone, right? Sometimes I wonder if it's even mine, but I would never personally be able to cover my medical bill. 
But because I pay health insurance premiums, I have a larger pocket to dig into should the need arise, right? Is that not how insurance works? If something happens to me personally and and I die, I I don't want to, but if I die, if, if Mandy has to live off of my life savings, that girl's in trouble. If she has to live off what, what I've saved for her to live off of, she, she's not going to make it very long. But because I have life insurance, she will actually be better off financially without me. So if something happens to me in this next week, <laughs> you tell the investigators where to look, okay? Because she's better off financially without me alive. I know that. I said financially. Those of you that want to send the emails, I said financially. Watch this. Verse 6. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Do you see what happened? But, But Jonah had already made a shelter. Remember, he, he made a booth, a shelter, so that he could watch the destruction of Nineveh that wasn't going to happen. I don't know how long he sat there, but obviously the shade was inadequate. God made a tree grow over Jonah to provide him the adequate shade from the sun because his shade that he created was not sufficient. Why does insurance work? Because we're covered by a greater entity. Why is there salvation for our sins? Because we are covered by a greater, greater entity. You see, when you start figuring out that you can't cover your own life, that's when you start realizing that you need someone, a greater entity, to cover you. Psalm 121 and verse 5 says, The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. Psalm 91 and 1, those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Psalm 91 and 4, he will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. You see, he is the greater entity. He knows how to cover you. When I try to cover myself, I always fail at this. But when I turn it over to God and say, God, I need you to protect me. I need you to cover me. He is always faithful to cover me with the shadow of his wings. But what's interesting in this story about Jonah is that this is the first time in Jonah's whole life story that he's happy about something. Out of all four chapters, this is the first time that we actually see Jonah happy about something. There is a feeling of relief and security that we find under the shelter of God. When he finally is sitting under the shelter of God, he finds this sense of security, but also understand that it is under his shelter where discipleship takes place. Discipleship involves discipline. L- listen, it, for, for anyone, for anyone that wants to be discipled, understand part of discipleship is discipline. You need a mentor that is discipling you that looks at you and says, no, that's not the way I would do it. That's not the way you should do it. It always involves discipline. 
And when we are under the shelter of God, that is where discipleship takes place. It is there under the shade of God that Jonah experiences the corrective voice of the Lord. God caused a worm to destroy the shade tree, thus exposing Jonah's true heart issues. Because as the worm ate the tree, the shade began to wither. Look at verses 9 through 11. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. The Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in, the, in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? This is basically what God was telling him. Jonah, your heart is so full of hatred and contempt that you will weep for a stupid plant before you will weep for people, for flesh and blood. Jonah, what is wrong with you? Do you see where your mentality is messed up? Church, listen to me. Listen to me. When you find yourself under the covering of grace and mercy, you'll start seeing people differently. When you start realizing what God has done in your life, you will view people differently. Oh, this is not going to make me popular. I know it's not. But some of you need to hear it because it, we are about to go into this political season. And I promise you, discipline takes place in this house because discipling takes place in this house. I, Lord, help me. I don't have to agree with a political view. I don't have to be, uh, agree with a political platform in order for me to see people still as, as potential children of God. Creations of God. And if I hear anyone in this house, listen to me, throughout this political season, if I hear anyone in this house, I'm putting you on notice, that, that I start hearing you pray for or, or even jokingly say that, that we're better off if a certain uh, candidate is dead, if, if anything of the sort like that, I'm, I'm at a place in my career I'm going to rebuke you because, listen, Christ still died for them. They don't have to be right for Christ to die for them. His righteousness is what we're praying for in their lives. I'm not saying they don't need to change. I'm not saying that, that we, we, don't, we can't disagree. We can. We certainly can. <clears throat> and if you know me, there are certain uh, uh, points of, of holiness and Christian living and, and, and things that are clearly spelled out in the Word of God that I'm going to be fighting for and things that I'm, I'm certainly during the political season I'm looking at because I want to see where can candidates uh, 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 line up with these issues. That's the people I will be voting for, but I need you to understand there is, there is nowhere in God's word, there is nowhere that we can, we, we, we can stand upon and say that we can wish that people would die, that people would be eliminated, that, that humanity would be better off without them. Understand this, the people of Nineveh were the most wicked people on the planet. Jonah was weeping more for a plant than he was for those people, even after revival and change had broke out. May we pray for revival and change to break out in our government. May we pray for revival and change to break out in our society. Church, it's time that we start acting like the heart of Christ. It's time. Listen, listen. I'm going to take a stand on things that protect our children. 
I'm going to take a stand on things that protect the sanctity of marriage. I'm going to take a stand on those things. But never will you hear me voice hate towards a particular people group. It's not going to happen. And I think it's time that we clear this up, okay? I'm not going to stand for that. If God looked at, at, at Jonah and said, you cannot love a plant more than you love people, no matter how bad they are, I think God's looking at America today and saying the same thing to us. It's good that some of you were here today. It was nice knowing you. I know you won't be back. It's okay. <laughs> Discipleship doesn't mean, or it doesn't begin when your faith is soaring. Understand that. Discipleship doesn't begin when, when everything is just right in your life with Christ. Discipleship begins in your doubt. Discipleship begins when you don't believe when, when you don't understand what God is doing and what he's up to, that's when discipleship, true discipleship, that's when it believes. It doesn't matter if you are in the shade contemplating the meaning of life or if you're in the shade hating the existence of life. That's where discipleship begins. And God is calling us to get out from under our own covering and submit to under his covering. Because that's where the change of heart is going to take place. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.